podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Monday, March the 22nd, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is, of course, a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix that you wouldn't normally get access to, also keeps your data safe online, which is really, really important in this day and age. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, busy weekend. Uh, Four games in the FA Cup, three in the Premier League. Plenty of drama to get through. Uh, We'll start Friday night. Leeds 2, Fulham 1 at Craven Cottage. Big win for Leeds. Travelling to London, they'd lost all five of their trips there so far. Fulham needed the win. Had to get a win here. This was a really important game for them. Leeds come away with the three points. Bamford and Rafinha with the goals. Joachim Anderson with the the consolation for for Fulham. Uh, For Leeds, it means they go 11th in the table. It's their first win in four. So it turns around a bit of a bad spell that they had. They've got Sheffield United next, another game they'll expect to win. Then they do have a tough run. Manchester City away, Liverpool at home, Manchester United at home. Three really, really tough games that's going to be a bit of a slog for them. Then they go Brighton away, Spurs at home, Burnley away, Southampton away, and West Brom at home on the last day of the season. It's a difficult run in. There's absolutely no question about that, but... With that win, Leeds go to 39 points. They are going to be in the Premier League next season. So, a massive achievement. An absolutely massive achievement for Leeds as a newly promoted team to have basically secured safety uh, with nine games left is huge. Uh, The old adage was 40 points, but 39 will keep you up and and they'll pick up another point. They should beat Sheffield United in their next game. That'll get them to 42. And... That's all you can really ask for a newly promoted team. And when you look at their positioning in the table, they're two points behind Villa. Now, Villa have a game in hand, but Villa have spent fortunes over the last two summers. They're three points behind Arsenal, who are one of the big six, have spent heavily a number of years in a row now. And, you know, I I just, I think it's an incredible achievement by Bielsa. He does need to sort out that defence for next year, but he's been without Diego Loriente for most of the season, and the defence has improved since he came back in. He's been without Robin Cock, which, again, big money signing in the summer, someone they were relying on. I think Struyck coming through, making a real name for himself this season, has been massive. 
I think if they can add one more reliable centre-back and improve their full-back situation, Luke Ayling, for me, good going forward, can't defend. Alioski's a midfielder. Stuart Dallas has played a lot of left-back. He's a midfielder. I think they, they absolutely need to prioritise their full-back situation this summer. But, you know, they've got quality. Phillips is a very, very good player. Bamford has been great this season. Rafinha is the star, but Harrison on the other wing is very good as well. They've got good options in the centre of the midfield. Um, I, I Again, I think that's an area they look to improve. I think that's what you'll see from them this summer. A left-back, maybe another centre-back, just somebody... Doesn't have to be a starter, but somebody who can reliably stay fit week to week to week. All of their centre backs have had injury issues this season. Liam Cooper currently out at the moment. Obviously, Cock came back, came off the bench in this one, but he's been out for three or four months. Lorientes missed most of the season. Striex had a couple of niggles here and there. So just a body in there would be a big help for them. Um, definitely a starting left back, I think, and and I'd be looking to upgrade on Ailing. I. I'm not saying you need to get an immediate upgrade, but somebody that can maybe over the next 24 months take that position, make it their own. There's good options out there, and Leeds will have money to spend. Um, one in central midfield, and as someone who can play with Rodrigo ahead of Phillips, uh, someone with a bit of power, a bit of box-to-box uh, dynamism about them, because you get Rodrigo's creativity and potential goals. Phillips does a lot of the defensive work, and obviously dictates the play for them. Rafinha and Harrison out wide. Bamford, they might look to bring in a young striker to supplement Bamford. But it's it's a good team. Melier has done really well. He has improved so much over the season. From where he was at the start of the season to where he is now, he's a completely different goalkeeper. And very, very promising for Leeds. There's a good squad there. You know they've got a great manager. They've got a lot of good young players that they brought in last summer that you know were long-term signings they they did i think they did really well last summer in the transfer market when you look at what they did like i don't think they really wanted to keep um to keep helder costa but that was a deal they'd done that if they came up they had to pay the money but getting the melier deal done permanently bringing in joe gelhart who'll be a big part of their future sam greenwood will be a big part of their future somerville will be a big part of the future and then Rafinha, Loriente, Koch, Rodrigo, all good players, lots of talent. I think they'll keep Harrison this summer as well. I'd imagine there's probably uh, an agreement in place that they'll do that. So, you know, I, I think all in all, uh, the signings have worked out for them. They secured their their present and their future last summer. I expect we'll see the same this summer. They'll take that two-pronged approach again, look to pick up underpriced, talented young players for the future and bring in players that will be immediate starters, the likes of Rafinha, Koch, Lorienti, etc. So I think things are bright for Leeds. I really do. And Bielsa seems to love life there. He seems very, very happy. Um, if, if you followed his career, I think this is the first time at a club that we've seen Bielsa settled. Like, you look at his career, Newell's old boys, two years, at Atlas, two years, Amer- Club America, one year, Velas Sarsfield, one year, Espanol, less than a season. National teams, he was fine. Argentina, Chile, six years, four years, grand. Athletic Bilbao, two years, Marseille, one year, Lazio, a couple of days, and Lille, less than a year. 
He's now completed three seasons at Leeds. So this is the longest he has stayed at a club. He'll go into year four next year. If he gets through that and stays a fifth year, only that that time he was manager of Argentina will he have been in charge of a, a, a you know a job longer. And Argentina is his national team, so there was obviously a draw for that job for him. But I really do, I really do think that he seems to love his life right now, and he's embraced the community. He's gone out of his way to donate to charity and and involve himself in different things and. People seem to leave him alone as well, which is, you know, really important. Yorkshire people have just kind of taken to Bielsa and his ways and they let him do him and it's working for them. I mean, what a turnaround. I I genuinely thought Leeds could be another 10 years out of the Premier League, given all the messing with the owners, etc. And the current owner didn't have much of a track record when Bielsa was appointed. But when they got Bielsa as a, as a championship team to go and get a manager of you know, of that aura. A guy who's one of the few guest speakers who isn't Italian to ever be uh, invited to speak at the Italian uh, Coaches Federation and was given a standing ovation. Um, he's, He's one of the greats and Leeds have done brilliantly to get him, brilliantly to keep him. And it seems to be a, a partnership that's going to continue. So as long as it does, I think we'll see Leeds get better and better. For Fulham, it is disappointing. They stay 18th. This was a big opportunity for them to get above Newcastle. And I, they've missed it, unfortunately. Uh, up next for them, they get Aston Villa away. Wolves at home. Arsenal away. Chelsea away. Burnley at home. Southampton away. Man United away. And then Newcastle at home on the last day of the season. And frankly, there's not a whole bunch of points there for them. Now, Villa aren't in particularly good form. Neither are Wolves. They'll both be tough games. But Arsenal, Chelsea, both away, both will be very difficult. Burnley at home is a game they can win for sure. Depends on what Southampton show up. United away, you wouldn't expect them to get anything. I think it may well come down to that last game, Newcastle at home. They could have given themselves a real chance to be above Newcastle going into that game. Now, they'll have more opportunities the next couple of games, and Newcastle's continued bad form. But there's, it's a difficult run-in. It really is a difficult run-in, because you've got teams playing for something. Villa still want a European position. Wolves still want to finish top half. Arsenal will be pushing for Europa League. Chelsea, obviously, going for Champions League. Burnley, still scrapping for survival. Dyche won't give up anything. Southampton are playing for their own pride more than anything. I mean, that dreadful run that they've been on, they will want to turn things around and end the season on a high like they did last year. United going for Champions League. Now, at that point, United may well have top four guaranteed and may well be resting players if they've got Europa League games coming up. And then um, then obviously Newcastle on the last day is, is going to be a battle. But it's disappointing for Fulham. It was a poor performance. They didn't. They really didn't turn up. Um, I thought Parker got his team selection wrong again. Uh, didn't un- really understand the decision to play Zambo as a ten. You're taking away most of what he offers by playing him that far advanced. So that was strange. Um, didn't feel he didn't feel he got things right at all. And the substitutions weren't great either. Um, 
So, look, Mitrovic has been a disaster this season. Loftus-Cheek hasn't worked. Why are you bringing them on in that game? I really don't know. But then I suppose you can be honest and look at the bench and say there wasn't much else there. Uh, moving on into Saturday, uh, Brighton 3, Newcastle 0. Brighton went 1-0 up through Trossard. Then Welbeck scored pretty much a carbon copy of the Trossard goal. Both excellent goals. And then Mopay wrapped it up on 68 with a half volley from about 10 yards. Newcastle were awful. There's no other way to describe it. They were absolutely awful. They had one shot on target and they hit the post. That was it. They were dreadful. Brighton were absolutely deserved winners. Thankfully for Graham Potter, they managed to convert some chances. And and the crazy thing is, this time they way outperformed their XG. Their XG was less than one. They scored three. Normally their XG is three and they score one. The uh, the first two goals, the Trossard goal and then the Welbeck goal, both would have had very low XG, both great finishes. Um, Brighton now four points clear of Newcastle, six clear of Fulham, and they have a game in hand on Fulham. Fulham have played 30 games so far, so they are at a disadvantage anyway. Two points behind Newcastle and played a game more. Uh, for Brighton, they have Manchester United away next. Now, Brighton have always done well. Uh, against the bigger, well, always. This season, they've done well against the bigger clubs, so they could well go to United and and get something. Then they get Everton at home. Again, bigger club, I'd expect them to perform well. Chelsea away, Sheffield United away, Leeds at home, Wolves away, West Ham at home, Man City away, and Arsenal. Sorry, Man City at home and Arsenal away. They're going to need to pick up points in the next couple of games. I mean, there's a definitely a winnable one against Sheffield United. You'd like to think they'll beat Leeds at home and maybe a point against Bright, uh, sorry, against Wolves. That could be enough to see them up because the other six games they've got, United, Everton, Chelsea, West Ham, City and Arsenal, they're all against, you know, top half teams. They're all against teams going well um, and, and with, you know, with things to play for. So they've left themselves a tough finish to the season. Thankfully enough, they seem to have built that gap because if it had come down to it, they have the hardest running. And um, if they didn't have that six-point buffer on Fulham, I really think they'd have to be borrowing a page of the Hulk Hogan playbook and saying the prayers and taking the vitamins because uh, it, it's a really tough run. For the tune, they get Spurs at home next, then Burnley away, West Ham at home, Newcastle away, sorry, Newcastle away, Liverpool away, um, Arsenal at home, Leicester away, City at home. Now, that is a horrible, horrible run of seven games. That's really, really difficult. And in fact, I think I was wrong when I said Brighton had the hardest run in. That is horrible. The last two games are Sheffield United at home, which is going to be a must win, and then Fulham. And if they can go to Fulham with a couple of points advantage and just park all the buses and play for a draw, that that would be probably their best option. They have a game in hand on Fulham and a two-point cushion. So if we say that the game in hand is Sheffield United and they'll win that game, that's a five-point lead on Fulham. Both teams have difficult enough run-ins, but Newcastle's is definitely much tougher. Can Fulham make up five points? 
If they beat Newcastle, that would make it two points. They can definitely make it up. So Newcastle are, are in dodgy territory. They really are. They're going to need to get something going really, really quickly. And unfortunately, the obvious thing is Steve Bruce is going to have to go. He really is going to have to go. Now, I think it's important to be fair to Steve Bruce. He took that job because he loves Newcastle. And I've seen people, I've seen fans of Newcastle say he's a fake Geordie. He's not one of them. Steve Bruce is not a fake Geordie. Steve Bruce is Newcastle to his very core. And he took that job because he genuinely cares about the club. And he took it knowing he was going to be a punching bag for Mike Ashley. or to, Sorry, to stand in front and deflect from Mike Ashley. And unfortunately, I'm seeing people say, oh, like Steve Bruce's mediocrity is running through the club top to bottom. No, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Mike Ashley's mediocrity is running through the club from top to bottom. Mike Ashley is the reason you are where you are, not Steve Bruce. When I had Harry DeCosmo on to talk about his book, which everybody should buy, by the way, Bobby Robson, The Black and White Knight, um, we talked about Rafa and when Rafa was there and how popular Rafa was. And the worst thing an unpopular owner can have is a popular manager. That's why they have Steve Bruce, because they knew he'd be unpopular. Because the style of football is awful. He doesn't really have any ambition to, you know, to finish top half or win anything. He just wants to survive. He's, he's the type of fella you appoint when you want to survive. Same as Big Sam. Same as Hodgson. You're not going to win anything. You'll generally be comfortable enough. And last season, they were comfortable enough. This season, it has gone disastrously. They've had, obviously, injury problems. But their form over the last 18 Premier League games has been a shambles. Only two wins. Defeat after defeat after defeat. They had that little run of three throws in a row. But it's a shambles. 28 goals scored. 48 conceded. I mean, 48 goals conceded. When you play that style of football, only the bottom two have conceded more. Um, I, Steve Bruce has to go. It's the only way around it. But Newcastle don't really like to pay managers to go away. And according to what George Colkin is reporting in The Athletic, it's a sizable enough payoff to get rid of him. And who's going to want to take the job right now? I mean, there are managers out there one Rafa Benitez is out there right now. But is he going to want to take it at this point? Is he going to want to go back there after how they treated him? I, I don't think so. Uh, I think he's had enough of the broken promises. But Newcastle's a huge club with an amazing fan base and a great stadium. When the football team is good, it's a great city as well. And when it's not, it's probably not the nicest place to live as a player or a manager. So... It's going to be tough, but they have to do something. They've got a couple of weeks now before their next game. I, I think they're going to have to make a change. I can't see that they can stick with Bruce because it, this is only going one way. And even with Fulham having a difficult run, and I think you'd still have to back Fulham. Fulham have a difficult run and a bad manager, but they've got better players. And there's just something wrong at Newcastle. There's something deeply wrong within the fabric of the club that... Even if if Bruce turned things around a little bit, I, I just don't think you can shake that off. 
even if they were to win their next game, I'd still back them to lose the following three or four. Um, something needs to change. It needs to change really quickly. Uh, final Premier League game then of the weekend. Sorry, no, there's two more to get through. What am I talking about? Um, West Ham 3, Arsenal 3. West Ham went 3-0 up in this game. Jesse Lingard scored an absolute belter on 15. Jared Bone scored on 17. After quick thinking from Lingard, take a quick free kick. Poor goalkeeping from Leno on that one. Thomas Suchek made a 3-2, tapping in uh, a Mikel Antonio knockdown on 32. And it, it looked like, for all intents and purposes, West Ham were going to run away with this game. Arsenal were a shambles for the first half hour. An absolute shambles. And then West Ham decided to help them out. Thomas Suchek scored an own goal deflecting in a, a Lacazette half-volley that was going wide. Craig Dawson put through his own net from a Callum Chambers cross. Lacazette was very unfortunate not to have um, put Arsenal 3-3 already. Missed a, well, didn't miss a good chance. Had a good chance, got through, lobbed the keeper. And uh, Issa opted brilliantly to, to scoop it off the line. But Lacazette made it... Um, made it 3-3 with a really, really good header from a Nicolas Pepe cross. It was a fairly even game. Overall, it was an even game, and I think a draw was the right result. But for West Ham, they'll be super disappointed having gone 3-0 up at home to have thrown it away. Um, I did think Martin Odegaard had an excellent game in this one. I just, I think he's worth highlighting. Everything good that Arsenal did seemed to go through him. On the flip side, most of what West Ham did well seemed to go through Jesse Lingard. So credit to him. Um, really, when Mark Noble came on, you knew that West Ham weren't going to score again. And you knew that they'd probably give up the uh, the win. And, and that's what happened. Mark Noble came on the field. And I think four or five minutes later, Arsenal got the equaliser. The Mark Noble effect. Um, holding West Ham back since the mid-2000s. Um, for Arsenal, their ninth... They may well finish ninth. They're four points behind Everton, and Everton have a game in hand on them. But Arsenal are now four games unbeaten after that mini wobble they had. They've got Liverpool at home next, then Slavia Prague in the Europa League, then Sheffield United away, Slavia Prague again, then Fulham at home, then it's Everton at home, Newcastle away, West Brom at home, Chelsea away, Crystal Palace away, Brighton at home. It's a very favourable run-in. Everton and Chelsea are the standout teams after the Liverpool game. Everton and Chelsea are the standout games that could be difficult. But you would still expect them to beat Everton at home. And you would expect them to win most of the other games. I mean, Fulham at home, Sheffield United away, West Brom at home, Newcastle away. Palace away will be tough, but Brighton at home. These are all games Arsenal should win. So maybe they can make a late surge, but Everton having a four-point cushion and a game in hand. They're also four points behind Liverpool. They play their next. If Liverpool win, that obviously goes to seven. Now, if Arsenal win, it goes to, to one. And you wouldn't put it past the Gunners to beat Liverpool the way Liverpool have been. For West Ham, though, I mean, this great season continues for them. They're fifth in the league. Two points outside the Champions League uh, with an equal number of games played. They've been... Just really, really good all season long. Um, they've got Wolves away next, then Leicester at home, then Newcastle away, then Chelsea at home, Burnley away, Everton at home, 
then Brighton away, West Brom away, and Southampton at home. So it's not the worst running in the world. There's a couple of tough games. But all things considered, if they can hold this form, if they can hold this form, they really should get a European spot at this point. That's not the most difficult running in the world. And the next three are tough because two of them are away. But Wolves haven't been great this season. Newcastle are just downright terrible. And Leicester's at home. So it, it is a, it's definitely a, a doable thing for them to get European football next year. And that, if they get European football, David Moyes is manager of the year. And there can be no argument against it that David Moyes is the manager of the year. Absolutely no argument against it. The job he's done there this season has been incredible. And hopefully the owners will back him in the summer. Final Premier League game then. Aston Villa nil, Tottenham 2. Um, Villa were poor. And Villa have been poor. Villa have been poor now since, like, since the turn of the year. I've been talking about this for weeks. People want to put it down to the Grealish injury. They were poor before Grealish got injured. And Grealish was poor before he got injured as well. Um, but this was a particularly poor performance. Uh, our, Tottenham went 1-0 up Emmy Martinez made a bad mistake rushed out of his goal, bad clearance fell to Lucas Moura who played it to Kane, got it back switched it across and Carlos Vinicius had an easy tap in for his first Premier League goal of the season I take issue with the Harry Kane penalty uh, it's a dive I'm sorry, it's cheating Gary Neville called it cute Gary Lineker used you know he criticised it, but he used nice, polite phrasing. Harry Kane is a cheat. He's a dirty player, and he's a cheat. He's the biggest diver in the league. And he needs to be called out on it. He really, really does. And I don't, I don't mind so much that he does it. I just don't like the double standard that others get tired with. I mean... Sadio Mane's been labelled a diver. Uh, he has cost himself at least three or four penalties this season by staying on his feet. Salah gets dragged and kicked and all sorts. Bruno gets dragged and kicked and all sorts. They're divers, allegedly. But not Harry Kane. He doesn't get called that. Uh, but he's, he's the worst of the lot um, and has been for a while. Him and Jack Grealish are the two biggest divers in the league. And Deli Ali was previously the biggest diver in the league. And they're all English players. And it never gets, the tag never gets put on them. There were divers in English football dating back into the 80s. And nothing got said about it. When Jurgen Klinsmann arrived over here, there was a media circus about this guy who was this big diver. So it, it's high time that English people just started to own the fact that their own players are more than capable of diving. And it has very little to do with anyone foreign. Uh, Harry Kane is the biggest cheat in the league. He's the dirtiest player in the league. He's a great player. Don't get me wrong. He's an incredible goal scorer. But he is he's a cheat. And it's just as simple as that. You know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. So I'm not I'm not criticizing him for it. I'm just saying what it is. He is a cheat. Uh, I criticize him for the dirty tactics he uses and that foul he continuously does over and over again and gets away with. That's dirty, that's dangerous, but he is a cheat, and it's just time we use that phrase for him uh for tottenham they go sixth in the league three points behind chelsea so they're still in the mix for champions league despite you know all the circus going around them they have a very difficult run coming up they've got newcastle away that's a difficult one 
because Newcastle need every point they can get and they're going to have to scrap and fight and do all sorts. Then they get Manchester United at home, then Everton away. That's a difficult three-match run. Then it's City in the EFL Cup final, which could sway their season a little bit. Won't save it because top four has to be the has to be the minimum ambition. But getting silverware would be great for Spurs after so long, and would sort of justify the whole Mourinho thing. Uh, Sheffield United at home, game they have to win and should win. Then it's tough. Then it's Leeds away, Wolves at home, Villa at home in the turnaround. This game at the weekend obviously should have happened in January, got cancelled because of COVID. And then Leicester away on the final day of the season. So it's three tough games, an easier one, four tough games. It's difficult running for Spurs. They're going to need to find some form. They really are going to need to find some form. Um, as I said, all season, ending less than top four is a massive failure for them. But they're in the mix and they've given themselves a bit of a fighting chance. That's the that's the main thing for them. They've given themselves a bit of a fighting chance. What's odd is they have nine league games left, yet I'm only seeing eight of them scheduled. Hmm. That's weird. There's a game missing there somewhere. I'm not sure where. Um, for Villa, they're 10th. They'll be happy if they finish 10th because it's a big step up from last season, but their form has been terrible. Um they get a chance to rectify it next up. They will have Grealish back. They play Fulham at home. Then they go to Anfield. Then they get Man City at home. So that's back-to-back tough games. Then West Brom at home. Must win. Easy win should be. Everton away. Manchester United at home. Palace away. Spurs away. Chelsea at home. It's a very, very difficult run-in for Villa. So if they want to finish top half, they're going to have to beat Fulham West Brom, and then pick up a couple of other points along the way. But of their last nine, seven of them are really, really tough. Um, so that's the Premier League games. That's all four of them. Um, good games at the weekend, it has to be said. Really good games, really enjoyable. The FA Cup provided some entertainment as well. Uh, Southampton beat Bournemouth 3-0. And uh, the early kickoff on Saturday, Moussa Genepo and two from Nathan Redmond. Um, Bournemouth were quite poor. I was disappointed with Bournemouth. They're obviously missing a number of players as well. But some schoolboy defending in there. Really, really disappointing. Great for Southampton to get the win. And hopefully that will provide them with a bit of a boost moving forward. Uh, Man City went and beat Everton fairly comfortably. A 2-0 win. Everton started well and then just sort of faded out of it and didn't really threaten throughout the game. Um, Ilkay Gundogan scored the first. De Bruyne got the second. Gundogan goal had a little bit of luck about it. Uh, Virginia playing in goal for Everton because Olsen and Pickford were out injured, made some really good saves, including one where he tipped it onto the bar and the ball bounced down, and Gundigan headed home from about seven yards. Another goal for Gundigan. His form this season is just insane. Um, he is scoring goals like they're going out of fashion, which isn't what we normally would know Ilke Gundigan for. I think he's the football of the year, and I don't think there's a really strong candidate outside of him. He's got 16 goals in all competitions, 12 in the Premier League. I think he's got to be football of the year. I know there's going to be a big push for Kane, but City are running away with the league, and he's the best player in the team. So I don't know how you can argue with it. 
Um, that said, we saw mental things happen last year in with the football of the league, football of the year. So who knows? They'll probably give it to Jack Grealish or somebody. Um, City go through fairly comfortably, comfortably, and the quadruple remains on. Chelsea beat Sheffield United two 0 This was anything but comfortable, though. Um, a Phil Jagielka own goal, a Ben Chilwell shot that was going wide. Sorry, Ollie Norwood. Ollie Norwood scored the own goal on 24 minutes. It was Chelsea's first real attack of the game. And then from there, Sheffield United had the better opportunities. McGoldrick missed a sitter. Brewster had a half-decent chance. They created some good openings for themselves. Now, credit to Chelsea. They also did. Pulisic had a good chance where he broke through. Uh, we saw some lovely dribbling from Pulisic in this game. Um, but Sheffield United really could have been 2-1 up before Hakim Ziyech made it 2-0 uh, on the half volley late on after a counter-attack. Chelsea st- still struggled going forward. Defensively, this was the shakiest that they've looked under Tuchel, I thought. Now, it was a, a changed goalkeeper and back three. Uh, with Billy Gilmore playing in midfield rather than Kante or Jorginho. But it was a very strong team. Kepa in goal, Christensen, Zuma, Emerson. Now, Emerson's a, a wing-back. He's on a centre-back. Uh, Hudson-Odoi, Gilmore, Kovacic and, and Chilwell across the middle. Mount and Pulisic behind Giroud. Mount was the captain again for Chelsea. He captained them earlier in the year in the FA Cup. So it was a very strong team. They just didn't really ever look like they were quite right going forward um so they'll be a little bit disappointed with that but someone someone is going to get a walloping at some point when you have that much of the ball and you do get yourself in good position somebody is going to get a walloping at some point um the final game then of the of the FA Cup weekend Leicester City 3 Manchester United 1 Leicester were excellent absolutely excellent really really good performance probably should have won this game 4 or 5 uh Vardy missed couple of good chance, well, one good chance and a kind of half chance. Uh, Ian Acho put them 1-0 up after Fred was played into trouble by Harry Maguire. Fred got all the blame, but that goal is squarely on Maguire. Uh, Fred gave it straight to Ian Acho, who scored. Uh, Thielemans ran through the midfield. Um, Sayunchu had won the ball back, and Didi passed it on to Thielemans, and Thielemans just ran through the midfield and nobody decided to tackle him. So he just ran and ran and ran and scored from about 19 yards out. Really good goal, uh, but poor from United. And then their third goal was an Ian Acho header at the back post after United were at sixes and sevens. Greenwood had scored for United. A Pogba cross that the Leicester defence kind of made a mess of. Danny Von de Beek would step over and Greenwood scored. It was a good goal, but it was you know about all United offered. Uh, there was a lot of desperation shooting from distance from Bruno, from Alex Tellez, people like that. But United were just poor in this game. Harry Maguire was awful. Absolutely awful. Jamie Vardy tormented him left and right. Um, I think I'm right in saying, Guy, I got three of the four right in the um, in the FA Cup. I think I predicted Bournemouth to beat Southampton, so I'll take the L on that one. But I got the other three right. Uh, definitely picked Leicester, Chelsea and City. And in terms of the Premier League, uh, I got the Fulham-Leeds one wrong, I got the Brighton one right, and I picked draws in the other two. So I got two wrong and two right. So I'll, I'll take it. It's it's better, better than normal uh, that I got five out of eight correct. Um, 
So that's it. That is your games for the weekend. Up next for the FA Cup, Leicester gets Southampton, so they get the favourable draw, and then Chelsea gets City. So that will be that will be an absolute belter of a game. I think. I think that's going to be very, very good to watch. Um, Tuchel against Pep will be interesting. Really, really will be interesting. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break here. We'll come back. We'll wrap up with the gossip, and we'll be done for today. Right, welcome back. Um, we're going to wrap up with the gossip and, and be out of your hair for today. Um, so as always, I'm stealing the gossip for the, from the BBC uh, website. Uh, Juventus managing director Fabio Patricia, uh, Patrici says that the Italian club intend to keep Portugal forward Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, he's lucky that he still has a job, for starters. He's done a really poor job since being promoted um, to replace Beppe Maratta. Um I think keeping Cristiano is a big mistake, personally. I think they'd be better off letting him go and clearing the decks and starting over again. You know, new manager. They've got great players there. They really do. It's just that the team doesn't suit him and he doesn't suit the team, so everybody else gets the blame because he still scores because the rest of the team are functioning just to provide him with chances. Um, Norway striker Erling Haaland has told his agents he wants to leave Borussia Dortmund at the club, who are fifth in the Bundesliga, do not qualify for the Champions League. Uh, his agent is Mina Raiola, which means Mina Raiola has told the story to AS. Uh, whether or not Haaland has said a word is irrelevant to Raiola. He will just do what he wants to do. Uh, Liverpool are unaware of any pre-contract terms for Barcelona to sign Dutch midfielder Jorginho Wijnaldum. Uh, I have a podcast coming out later this week on Anfield Index on the free side of AI uh, with Dave Davis, who has done a lot of digging into the finances of Barcelona. So we talk about Ginny, we talk about whether or not that's the right move for him. So do keep an eye out for that one. Uh, Mikel Antonio has said Martin Odegaard is Arsenal's team leader and has hinted at a permanent deal for the 22-year-old. Uh, it's, it's a little bit concerning when a 22-year-old who's only been at the club three months is the team leader, but... It absolutely makes sense for them to keep Odegaard. I would love Odegaard at Liverpool. I think he's a tremendous player. Uh, but unfortunately, he's going to end up staying in Arsenal. Juventus are willing to offer a players plus cash deal to lure Moise Keane back to the club. Um, there's a couple of players at Juve that Everton should have some interest in. Juventus always have a surplus of good players, and Everton have. Uh, a deficit of good players so you wouldn't want Chesney you wouldn't want Chiellini given his age they're not going to give up the Ligt I mean I don't know if they'd give up Arthur but Arthur is the type of player that Everton could do with they won't get Cristiano obviously they shouldn't want Ramsey they shouldn't want Morata Dybala is out of their out of their league they don't want Alexandro uh, they don't want Danilo Weston McKinney's just signed permanently so he's going to be off the table Quadrado you don't want, Benucci's too old, Chiesa will be off the table. Rabio was an interesting one, but he will probably want wages that are outside of what Everton would be willing to pay. Um, but Carlo did work with him before. Demorel, I think Juve would want to keep, but there's a couple of others here. So the the one I think is the most obvious choice for Everton is Bentoncourt. Rodrigo Bentancourt, the Uruguayan midfielder, 
I think he would be absolutely perfect for Everton. In midfield, with Alain and Decoure, in that sort of role that Andre Gomes plays, I think Benton could be a massive upgrade on him. He's 23. He's a big physical unit, plenty of experience, huge talent, can play anywhere really. But I think his best role is as a box-to-box midfielder. Um, I think if Everton could swing a deal to get him, even if it's a straight swap, or even if they have to give a little bit of cash on top of Keane, I think Bentoncourt would be perfect for Everton. Bernadeschi would be an interesting one as well, just as another attacking option. He's 27. He's going to be, I think, going into the last year of his contract. He is. He's going into the last year of his contract with Juve. So they might be looking to move him on. He hasn't really been a massive success for them after they paid quite a lot of money to get him. He'd become a really, really good player at Fiorentina. Juventus paid about €40 million, and it hasn't really worked out. He's never really nailed down a starting spot. He's largely been a squad player. He's a good player who could fit well at Everton. Um, And given the injury problems that James has had, it'd be nice to have a player that could also sort of fill that in. So if they get either of those two... um, you have a couple of players on loan. Rolando Mandragora would be an interesting one. He's a very good midfield player as well. Douglas Costa's on loan at Bayern. Bayern won't make that permanent. So again, Douglas Costa's someone they could look at, look at. But I think I'd push for for Bentoncourt. If I was if I was Everton, that's the one I'd push for. Now whether he'd be up for the deal or not, I've no idea. But Carlo's a big draw for players. Um, Udinese goalkeeper Juan Musa is set to turn down offers from Inter and AC Milan to join Roma. Roma could do with an upgrade in goal, and he's a good goalkeeper, so you know, makes sense. Um, Belgian side Michelin want to sign Celtics Ukrainian winger Marian Schved on a permanent deal. It hasn't worked for him with Celtic, he's barely ever played, so probably the best for everybody concerned if he moves on. Bayern Munich chief executive Karl-Heinz Rummenigge has ruled out any chance of Hansi Flick replacing Jockey Lowe as Germany manager. Again, kind of makes sense. Um, former Juventus manager Massimiliano Allegri has turned down an offer from Real Madrid. Oh, says he turned down an offer from Real Madrid, right? That's irrelevant. Who cares? 2018. Uh, Sheffield United assistant manager Alan Nil has been given an offer to stay at the club following the departure of Chris Wilder. Now, it makes sense. He's he's meant to be a very, very good coach. Uh, there's an awful lot of an awful lack of Premier League gossip today. Premier League clubs, get your act together. I need more content. Um, Alan Nil's a very, very good coach by all accounts. I think he'll go with Wilder wherever Wilder goes. He's been with Wilder for a long time. And I also think it's a bit... Like, if you're approaching a manager to come in, it's a bit much to say, oh, by the way, this is the staff you're working with. I don't think that's going to be particularly appealing. Um, unfortunately for Sheffield United, I think they've they've missed on a couple of managers who've, who've already taken jobs. But um, look, uh, nil is worth keeping, but you, I think you have to get the new managers uh, okay for that, when he, whoever they pick in the summer. Um, that's it. That is our show for today. Uh, relatively quick unusual for me i'm sure you'll agree um 
have to say I really enjoyed the games the weekend. Really, really did. Thought the Premier League games were good. Really enjoyed the FA Cup. I love the FA Cup. And I, I apologize to those of you who don't, but I am going to continue to cover the FA Cup. Uh, the League Cup, I have less affinity for, so probably won't bother with that ever. Uh, though when the final comes up, we'll obviously talk about that. But um, yeah, the FA Cup might well become a, a bigger fixture next season. Um, I might even start looking at it from the first round onwards, the first round proper, because I do love the FA Cup. I just think it's it's something very, very special and unique. And uh, it benefits the game. It benefits the game massively. That's it. That's the show. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle, as always. And thank you to the boys in Fox Haunt. Do check out their music at, on Spotify or, or iTunes or wherever you get your music. Uh, Fox Haunt, really, really talented band. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.